My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus said to his disciples, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, offer no resistance to one who is evil. When someone strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other one as well. If anyone wants to go to law with you over your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. Should anyone press you into service for one mile, go for two miles. Give to the one who asks of you and do not turn your back on one who wants to borrow. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your heavenly Father. For he makes his sun rise on the bad and the good and causes rain to fall on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what recompense will you have? Do not the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brothers only, what is unusual about that? Do not the pagans do the same? So be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. The Gospel of the Lord. My first experience with the Jewish kosher laws must have been when I was in middle school. My family had taken this trip that our our high school had sponsored to the Catskills for a ski weekend. And the resort that we were staying at was owned and operated by Orthodox Jews. And this was a rough weekend all around. I learned I was not much of a skier. I couldn't ice skate. And then to top it all off, at lunch when I was asking for a cheeseburger, I was told that they didn't have them because the kitchen was kosher. I was, shall we say, unhappy. The waiter said that the kitchen could make me a hamburger and could give me cheese on the side, but they could not put it on the burger and melt the cheese. And not going to lie, I was a little bit frustrated and sort of dismisses of the whole thing, calling it ridiculous. Because Christians are no longer subject to those kosher laws, we can kind of look at the entire book of Leviticus, where many of them come from, as something that we can just as easily dismiss. Of the 73 books that are of the Bible, Leviticus, which was where our first reading came from today, is probably the least read and least popular book of the Bible to Christians, which is completely understandable. If you're looking for inspirational stories or motivational quotes, you're not going to find them there. It reads more like a rule book, some in excruciating detail, some to which our modern ears sound incredibly random and specific. For example, eating shrimp was said to be an abomination. 
What is the point of Leviticus and why is it still important? Leviticus is all about holiness. How are the people supposed to behave? How are they supposed to act? What did they have to do in order to be set apart from the ways that all the other people of the world lived and behaved? How the other peoples of the world could see that being one of God's chosen people made them different. And that's what holiness is. We so often have images of people in, in stained glass or marble statues in our heads of, of people who are holy that are quite beautiful to look at but seem so far removed from our lives and our experiences we can judge it's not possible for us to achieve that. Yet holiness is difficult because it goes against the current, what's accepted and, and promoted by the world and often goes against our gut, our instincts, and our desires. But holiness is possible. It's a choice. Holiness is listening to God's word. It's following his commands, which result in our living differently from the world. It makes us stand out. It sets us apart. We as Catholic Christians are often relieved that some of those things that our ancestors were subjected to, like kosher laws, don't apply to us. And that was one of the amazing things that made Jesus so controversial 2,000 years ago among his fellow Jews. Curing on the Sabbath, releasing some of these dietary pro prohibitions were all considered blasphemous. They were heresies to the religious leaders of his day and age. But as we continue to hear Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in today's Gospel, we find that the call to holiness hasn't gotten easier, not by any stretch of the imagination. Just to recap, in last week's Gospel, Jesus explained how he's come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he explained what he meant by, by talking about the commandments prohibiting killing and adultery and divorce. And with each of them, how expectations were raised from the very narrow perspective where we're now confronted with even greater demands. For example, we had to stop congratulating ourselves for not killing someone this past week and had to consider whether there was any anger in our hearts, which is the root of all the destruction of life. We had to stop patting ourselves on the back for not committing adultery and we're confronted with the question, have we ever had lust in our hearts, which are the seeds of infidelity? As if all that wasn't challenging enough, this week, Jesus commands us to what was and is considered the most difficult call of all. First, we hear about turning the other cheek, then giving when people have already taken, and going an extra mile all capped with the hardest of all, to love your enemies. Mind you, this doesn't mean we're not allowed to defend or protect ourselves or to make ourselves victims. The examples that Jesus uses about striking your right cheek doesn't mean that we should tolerate physical abuse. In all these examples, he's trying to start to address all the things that often lead to one becoming an enemy. So striking the right cheek isn't a threat to one's life, but more along the lines of being insulted, 
That's why he doesn't say, if someone brings a knife at you or a spear, just stand there and take it. And the giving of a cloak and going the extra mile is calling us not to resist when people are making impositions on our goods and our possessions or more demands on our time. In all of this, Jesus is again bringing to fulfillment what was already a difficult proposition. In the first reading from Leviticus, we heard that part of that call to holiness was not to bear hatred for your brother and sister in your heart, to take no revenge, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If you're not well-versed in Jewish history from the Old Testament, suffice it to say they were as good at loving their fellow Jews as we Catholics can be sometimes in loving our fellow Catholics. Loving your neighbor can be difficult enough when our neighbor is annoying, isn't living up to what we know God expects of us, seems ungrateful and and takes advantage of our, our kindness and our generosity. Few were and are successful in that whole loving the neighbor thing. Now Jesus is talking about loving our enemies. We might want to argue, shouldn't we get that whole neighbor thing down first before he moves on to more advanced, more demanding commands? Doesn't he need to give us a little bit more grace and some more spiritual gifts in order to do that? I don't know about you, but all of a sudden avoiding cheese on a hamburger doesn't seem so difficult. I'd even be willing to give up shrimp. But Jesus isn't setting us up to fail or putting impossible standards before us. He's calling us to recognize that as hard as it is to believe, that potential exists within us. Think back to that psalm that that we just sang before. The Lord is kind and merciful. Those were words that King David had first uttered. And that great king had reflected on all the promises that God's people had made to the Lord and had failed miserably at keeping. Yet God had remained faithful to his promises, protecting them, delivering them from enemies, and continued to pour out his blessings even when they had failed, even when they had rejected him and his ways, even when they had in fact become God's enemies. He still loved them. That's what Jesus is highlighting. Yes, when they had become his enemies, God still loved them. And Jesus is taking those words of God from Leviticus, be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And underlining that, that he would never ask us to do something that he himself hasn't already done. So just as God has loved us, When we were enemies to him, he in calling us to be holy is calling us to be like him and to do the same. St. Augustine once put it, you don't love in your enemies what they are, but what you would have them become by your prayers. Not too long ago, I was able to experience the truth of this. Someone who had been a friend Note the past tense. For, for years, someone that I turned the other cheek and given a tunic, gone the extra mile, and then some, we had had a falling out, which 
only got worse as miscommunications and misunderstandings kept piling up. I hadn't considered them an enemy. I'm Italian, so we go in a whole other different direction where we say they're dead to me. That's very different from wishing someone dead, which for Italians, we're also very specific about that difference. But anyway, being dead to me, meaning I wasn't going to think about them. I wasn't going to talk about them, good or bad. Kind of just erase them, which is all completely foolish, of course. Because all that does is deny the anger and the hurt. All it does is bottle up inside, which is always so healthy. And I started to realize that every time Facebook popped up a picture in the memory section and I had that feeling of a knot in my stomach, every time someone would mention they saw them and asked them about me, I was very keenly interested in what was being said. I hated to admit that, no, they weren't out of my mind my heart. It wasn't something that I had had no emotional investment in. In fact, they were not dead to me, but rather this friend had become an enemy. And whoa, that hurt. It was a lot easier to pretend they were dead to me. Because once I recognized that the enemy status, I realized how hurt and sad and angry I was, in part Because, yeah, remember, Jesus is kind of clear about what you're supposed to do for an enemy. And when an enemy is some nameless external threat removed from your own personal life, like Islamic terrorists or Chinese communist leaders, it's easy to kind of add them to the prayer of the faithful and feel we kind of check that off. But when we have the name and the face very clearly in mind, when there's history and memories, that's a whole other thing. So eventually I did what I thought was the most loving thing, which was praying for them. They were on that list of enemies, right there after the terrorists and communist leaders. And it was days and weeks and months and even a couple of years when finally at one point in my prayer, after I was just venting to the Lord about the whole thing, the whole incident, all the reasons I was justifiably upset and hurt. I felt the Lord kind of gently ask if there was anything on my part that I had done that I regretted. I didn't even want to even go there, but when I did, I found myself jotting a couple things down that I felt bad about. And this one morning in prayer, as I was going over all this, I felt the Lord asking me if I would ever be willing to apologize for that stuff. Not for myself or for my friend turned enemy, but for him, for Jesus. It's kind of hard to say no to him. I didn't want to, and as I wrote out a letter of apology, as I recognized the reality that so much time had passed, that maybe this is opening an old womb or creating a new one, as I worried that maybe they were going to use this to justify themselves and prove to everyone else how they were right and I was wrong, Maybe they would ignore it completely, which would be even more hurtful. I really didn't want to do it. I was convinced that this friendship was unsalvageable anyway. So maybe it was just best just to let it go. But after a lot of wrestling and arguing with God, I finally did send it. And honestly, it gave me a whole different dimension and understanding of holiness. Of God calling me to go against what I wanted and didn't want and say, calling me to go against those desires and those feelings, 
to listen to him and to do what he asked, to be set apart. Now, this time I I did have that hallmark story ending where it was received, where there was true reconciliation and where our friendship wasn't the same, but actually became better. That was truly unexpected and just God in his generosity giving me more than I would have ever imagined or anticipated. But what was most important and what was healing and was transformative was letting Jesus's words get to me was letting him challenge me to dig deeper, to be uncomfortable and honest. Because hate is easy. Being selfish and self-centered, that's easy. It's easy to justify ourselves and argue how right we are. And that's why we almost prefer focusing on all the external things that we can kind of check off on our list as ways of appeasing God. But Jesus tells us that's not enough. He wants us to go deeper. He wants our hearts to be like his. He wants us to love as he loves, to be holy as he's holy. 